0: I think that's, that's one of the things that people are, are being woken up to, is that you can be full on, 100% surrendered and committed to living out this life for Jesus. And oftentimes, God will call you into the marketplace. So Jerry, can you speak to why is it important to have Christians in the marketplace? Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it is important to have Christians in the marketplace. I think there's a there's a negative taboo out there that says, you know, you're if you're successful or somehow if you have wealth, you know, that you're somehow, you know, drinking from the cup of the world. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's plenty of biblical warning about that. But the reality is here's a simple, here's the simple truth about this. I love the statement, the quote by Eric Liddell, the Olympic sprinter. He said, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast
2: this podcast is brought to you by king's council coaching the mission of the king's council is to help you discover develop and deploy your god-given talents and abilities in order to leave a legacy you need to live your legacy of excellence through the five power pillars mental emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Now, our programs are specifically designed to give you the blueprint and strategies that you need to gain an edge in the most important areas of your life. If you're an entrepreneur ready to upgrade your finances and align yourself with other powerful, kingdom-minded men and women, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com to start your legacy of excellence today.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, Director of Member Relationships here at the King's Council. And on this podcast, we like to talk about entrepreneurship, business, we talk about the kingdom of God. And this week, I have a great friend with me, Jerry Bloom. Jerry, such a privilege and honor to have you on the podcast this week.
1: Yeah, awesome to be here. I'm glad we could uh, we could fit this in our schedules.
0: I know, I know you're out on vacation in Palm Springs, there. So I'm glad you were able to to make some time with us. Jerry is a serial entrepreneur. Uh, been involved with business for 30 years just built another multi-million dollar business was highly successful even back to his 20s so I'm such a an honor and privilege to have Jerry with us. I know he loves talking to business people of all different places but specifically some of these young and up and coming entrepreneurs. So we're going to jump into a lot of things on this podcast. We're going to talk about building businesses, building wealth, those types of things but um, yeah Jerry I know you've you were at our last mastermind. What are some of the things that that drew you to Kings Council?
1: As an entrepreneur, like you said, and being you know a Christian, even serving in leadership in the church, one thing that you know we kind of bump into sometimes as as sort of folks that are uh, pioneers. I like to call it pioneering, just because um, we are not map readers; we're map makers. Um, a lot of the things mm. that entrepreneurs do in the marketplace is is we are doing different things. You don't need to be an entrepreneur to buy a McDonald's franchise. They package it for you. If you've got the money in the site, you can rock and roll and do it. Not that that's not any less work, but I feel like the thing that drew me in was seeing a sense of community for people who are like myself, of the same kind, who really want to, A, first and foremost, glorify God in their lives, and B, understand that being called to the marketplace is a piece of that, that it isn't just things that we do in the church or our serving or our giving or whatnot, that we can actually glorify God in pioneering in the world and building businesses and connecting and and taking a stand for things and, and doing things in the market that will glorify God. And, and sometimes, you know, we take a stand and uh, and we can really make a difference.
0: Mm, excellent. So Jerry, I got a few questions here that I'm going to ask you about uh, entrepreneurship and wealth, things like that. But let's let's start with your story. Tell me a little bit about how you got it into business. You know, Were you a Christian from the beginning or, or were you coming at it from a different perspective? Why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of, of where you're coming from?
1: Yeah, so I basically grew up in, in the Midwest, you know, Kenosha Racine area, uh, kind of slapped between Milwaukee and Chicago. Grew up in a blue collar family, kind of your uh, nuclear family. Parents divorced at a young age. You know, I knew I had an affinity um, at a very young age towards investing and hard work, actually. I remember uh, my mom worked at a bank, and this was back in the day. The stock market was a very different game. Now there was no electronic trading or anything. And I remember doing my summer jobs and mowing lawns and stuff. And I, I went into, (laughs) I had a little bit of money in this bank my mom worked for, and I, I wanted to buy some stock. And the stock, the company was called Republic Airlines. I was about eight years old, so you're talking forty something years ago. I remember. (laughs) I remember telling my mom to tell the president or whoever it was who handled stock buying at the bank, I said, tell him he needs to do this for me or I'm going to take all my money out of this bank, you know, my whole couple few hundred bucks maybe I had as a kid. I was always intrigued by business and investing, you know, kind of the way I'm wired and was born. I do remember this. I think this was kind of like an epiphany, not even an epiphany, but it was a telling sign uh, in my life uh, when I was interviewed in high school. What do you want to do when you when you grow up or when you get older or whatever? And my answer to that, to the school yearbook, was I want to be rich. I think I had a leaning at that point. I was about a junior in high school, and I had a leaning probably going into college, looking at something to do with finances, banking, or or something like that, stockbroker, anything like that. But the reality is, is my life, you know, really fell apart at that age. I probably made that statement when I was 16 or 17 years old. I ended up actually dropping out of high school, falling into some really bad, just home life things, circumstances. I acted out in a lot of rebellion, just out of pain and hurt. I ended up actually going to prison a couple years later when I was 19 years old, just because I was uh, out there acting out, drinking, just, just acting a fool, you know? So that was kind of like a a little different, that was the fork in the road. I took the wrong fork apparently. And so I, I just kind of went through a cycle of serious dysfunction and Hurt, lack of identity, didn't know God at that point. You know, I met my wife in that time after I'd been in and out of jail for a few years, and we met and uh, starting having kids. Never wanted to have any children just because of coming out of a broken home. It was just one of those things. I'd never want to br- bring a child into this world because of my life up into my early twenties. You know, the cool thing is, is God. God knew all this, right? You know, it's 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 so cool to just see. <laughs> you know, the guy didn't want to have any kids as five now. You know. Yeah. uh, My wife and I uh, met. We lived together. We actually moved to Colorado. We like knew each other for a couple months, jumped in my 88 Jetta with the cat and whatever little belongings we had. And we drove and we lived right at the foot of Pike's Peak. And again, we were just kind of a couple of lost people acting out, stayed out there for less than a year, uh, moved back to the Midwest where we could actually make ends meet. And uh, she ended up getting pregnant with my first daughter you know, I was still pretty much being a fool, drinking, fighting, all the stupid stuff I kind of did. Something kicked in, in a natural sense. Um, When she got pregnant with my second child, my son, my oldest son, there was a bit of a, you know, that rekindling of something. I know there was a latent gift that God gave me where, you know, this, this whole entrepreneurship began to be birthed. I just... Realized that as a father and and a husband, that I needed to actually provide for my family, um, and that hard work was the way to do it. And the actual outworking of that hard work was actually discovering, you know, rediscovering entrepreneurship. Just the ability to be in a given situation, whatever it is, whoever I work for. And I worked some crappy jobs. I mean. Really bad jobs, but it was wasn't the job that you were doing. It was how you do the job. You know, anybody can have a job, but taking ownership of the responsibilities given to you is entrepreneurship. And so I found that being rekindled or being awakened in me, and that kind of set my journey onto you know building businesses from there. So my first business that I bought, I was I was actually doing. I was a limousine service, a private limousine service for a pharma company. It was the best job in the world I worked at. Um, I got paid a really decent wage to basically drive around pharma reps and their customers, pick them up at their corporate jet, wine and dine them in Chicago, sit in a skybox at what used to be Comiskey Park, now is U.S. Cellular, and just have fun. Well, I ended up buying that company, and uh, you know, took that on, and then you know, I got into the wireless business, and it just just kind of trajectory of um, of discovering entrepreneurship. Um, you know, through my early to mid twenties, but again, just being a train wreck in it because I wasn't born again and I just, I didn't have the values, right? I didn't have, my heart wasn't regenerate. So all you did was you took the same kid who was acting out in his late teens and you funded him really well. So you took a street kid and turned him into like a Tony Soprano type of well, very well funded guy by the time he was 30 years old, having made a lot of money in business but had ruined everything around him. That's the intersection of where God met God met me when I was thirty. We were supposedly living the American dream, and uh, Trace and I were we had, you know, thirty years old. I just I look back at me. And I was gosh, I wish I could meet myself at thirty. It was ridiculous, um, you know, making ridiculous amounts of money, not all of it clean. Have a house, big old house in Lake Geneva, house on the on the ocean in Pompano Beach. Um, and all the toys, the Range Rover, the BMW M3, the Porsches, the Navigators, the watches—all that nonsense. Um, but again, no peace. Ruined my family. I had three kids at that point, and uh, my wife said she wanted a divorce. And we, so we were separated for a year. And I believe that was sort of God beginning to come in and reconcile the bloom family, the field, call it like a field, you know, like tilling a field. He came in and began to till the field and plant seed, you know, trace got born again, like right as we, uh, were separated. And then just a few months later, um, in 2000, uh, I got born again. So it was quite amazing because I wasn't looking for God, At all. Uh, I didn't really have a religious experience. Um, I literally just knew that God was on my case. He put people in my life that were just on airplanes and I was doing I was traveling all over the world and just kind of doing weird stuff. But God would always put people in my life. And, you know, even my in-laws, when we were separated, they were Christians. And they would send me these little Bible tracts that would, like, haunt me. I'd put them in the kitchen drawer. They'd, they'd give me these Bible tracts that were, you know, had verses on them and stuff. And I'd put it on the kitchen counter. And when I'm acting bad, I'd, like, put it in the drawer. I'm like, I don't want to see that. But then I'd pull it out and I'd start reading it. <laughs> and, but, you know, it was just Super Bowl Sunday 2000. I was sitting in our house in Lake Geneva. Kids um, and Trace were in Florida with her parents at our place, and I just, you know, I literally just cried out to God, and I said, if you want this trash of a life, I'm yours, and uh, I swear, as that was 32 years ago, um, I felt a sense of freedom that I had never known in my life. Didn't even know what, what really happened. But God drew drew me in with his love. I surrendered my life and um, he began to put the pieces back together, which by the way, we reconciled our marriage. We've been married 27 years. God took everything I think that I had broken in this world and he began to put his grace on it and just put it back together, put it back together. We reconciled our marriage after a year. We came back together, took a year off. I closed all businesses, sold possessions, did everything. Um we were pretty much, you know, I was naively I guess a little bit just deceived in my mind that I couldn't be a business person and be a Christian because to me everything hey, I Jerry. Do- yes.
0: Let me jump in for just a sec cuz I do want to get to that. I just want to go back to you said that even in high school your vision for your life was I want to be rich. Yeah. Is what you said. And then you got to a point where you're young, you're wealthy, you got the Porsche, you got the BMW, you got the big house, you got another house in in Florida. You got a wife, you got two kids, you accomplished the vision that you had for yourself. And I think some of our listeners might be in that place where they've set a, a vision for their life of, I want the toys, I want the recognition, I want whatever it is, but they're not feeling fulfilled. And even you said that your marriage uh, wasn't you know, where it should be. Can you speak to that uh, in terms of what it's like to attain all those things, but not attain fulfillment? Because I think even there's some young people out there listening to this that they feel like, man, if I could just accomplish X, Y, Z in terms of my bank account, then I would finally be satisfied. What was that like for you accomplishing your vision, but realizing it wasn't the right vision?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it was lustful, honestly. You know, when we look, think about the biblical term lustful, I would think of it more of a drug type term of, of being insatiable. It was a situation where as perverted as it sounds, you know, somebody who was at that age back in the mid 90s at, um, you know, being 30, just 30 years old, 28 years old, making six figures a month. The only thing that drove me and that satisfied me and I actually had an anxiety if I didn't make more the next month and it became my drug. And here's the thing, I even say this, I think you guys, some of you guys heard me say this, that the three things that don't lie, the pillow, the mirror, and the word of God, um, I can tell you, uh, the pillow never lied to me. I never had peace. I could not sleep. It was just, I, you know, I was very disconnected in my relationships. And um, it just doesn't satisfy, uh, it really does you know, finances or or whatever that thing is that you pursue, that's why the Bible says, you know, it's the pursuit of wealth that have caused many people to fall astray not wealth itself I certainly have way more than I've ever had in my life but I'm content and the pillow's good to me and the mirrors well, I don't know. Age-wise, the mirror isn't helping, but I feel good. About, <laughs> <laughs> feel good about the guy in the mirror. I mean, that's it. We look at the cost, man. And if, and if the cost is peace, if the cost is you know your covenant relationship with your spouse, um, something's broken.
0: Hmm. This is one of the reasons I love your testimony so much, especially for what we're doing here with King's Council, because to the Christian listener they might think, okay, Jerry made a ton of money, he got born again, he surrendered his life to Jesus, and then he stopped doing business, he became a missionary in Africa and, and sold it all because money is evil, business is evil, and you know he did the right thing, which was pursuing Jesus. But what I've seen in your life is a very different path than that. So talk to me about how did you start to reconcile that now you are a Christian, now you are living 100% for Jesus, but at the same time, he still called you into business.
1: Yeah, that's that's a cool one. Just because I again, it was it was a bit of a tug of war between Trace and myself, my wife, a lady who had run some Christian bookstores regionally. I think it was just Kenosha and Zion. Um, she had passed, went to be with the Lord and her son put her businesses up for sale. And uh, I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be in business. I'll, I'll mess it up somehow. You know, I'm going to Moody. That was my idea. I'm going to Moody. I'm going to be spiritual and be. Some time. I didn't know, man. I was like, seriously. I was like, in my mindset, I was like, hey, I don't know that much about being a Christian, but I don't know anything about being a Christian bookseller. So, as these Christian bookstores, and um, and so we kind of played back and forth, cat and mouse. We we pursued it for a little while, buying this Treasures bookstore. I just kind of let it go. They wouldn't context. I'd literally walk in the store and the and, and the ladies who worked there, they'd be like, oh, the owner just left. We heard you want to buy blah, blah, blah. And he wouldn't call me back. And it was like, I don't know, months of pursuing, maybe three, four five months of pursuing. And we ended up buying treasures and we just sunk, you know, what little money we had left in savings into buying this business, sort of restocking it because, The guy had sort of run the business in the ground. He basically stripped it of any value. You know, he sold everything off that had value. And he's like, hey, I want to sell the business. And I'm like, yeah, those uh, 17-year-old baptism cards are a (laughs) hot commodity out here. So, yeah, we bought treasure February of 2002. And uh, little did we know just the miraculous things God would do through a tiny little 2,000-square-foot Little old lady Christian bookstore. When they had the little precious moments and little little tables with lamps and doilies and stuff. And here I am in there, you know. And I'm like, wow. But God took that business and blew it up into like international, huge, huge, multi million dollars of business and pioneering in areas of eBooks, um, digital audio. I mean, we've done so much stuff. You know, huge e-commerce business. And God just navigated the way the whole way. I mean, he began to, I want to say, you know, not to say in a, in a negative way, don't take this negatively, but like we partnered, God and I partnered and, Mm. you know, we blew up massive e-commerce business and just reinvested so much money back into the business. We never took a dime out, which again, I could preach all day on not stripping your business of cash, but for three years. We literally tightened the belt. I mean, man, we had to we had to not grocery shop until we had the money. But after three years, we invested so much money in this business. It was massive. I remember, you know, taking my first payroll and it was like a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot, like five figures, you know, and it was like, okay, we can do this. We've created a tremendous snowball effect mechanism of great Amazon marketplace and eBay. Those were the only two places to really sell stuff back then. And then um, I ended up connecting with a chain of Christian bookstores that Hobby Lobby actually owns and um, I met the buyer at a show. And he's like, hey, send me your list. And I was like, for what? He's like, well, we'll buy from you. And I was like, well, we don't do wholesale. He's like, send me your list. And then he sent me back like a $40,000 PO. I was like, I think there's a future in this." And so we just blew it up from there. Um, Craig, who uh, was a, it's been a great friend of mine, um, he, he helped us in encouragement. He's a brother in the Lord. Um, he worked for Mardell Christian Stores. He now is a buyer for CBD, which everybody's heard of Christian Book Distributors. But yeah, just things like that. I hired this wonderful lady, the sweetest lady in the world. Uh, she came to work for me to do my wholesale repping, and uh, she was great friends with the buyer from this little company called Amazon. And uh, oh my goodness, got to understand when you're in a trade show and the Amazon buyer walks in the room, it's like, everyone's like, there he is. He literally walks in the room, comes into my booth at a trade show, hugs Estelle, who's my sales rep, and they sit down and talk. I'm just standing, I'm standing over in the corner like, who the heck is this? I'm like, that's the Amazon buyer. I was like, I'd better just shut up. And she comes over, introduces him and he's like, yeah, we'll be doing plenty of business with you. So needless to say, that was multi, multi millions of dollars worth of sales, just that one relationship. Incredible. In cool stuff, man. I mean, even just, I'll just share something else too. Um, When we started selling online, and again, because God's created me to be a pioneer, I looked at these things called eBooks. There was no Kindle. uh, There was nothing. There was Palm. If anybody's, most people are probably too young to know what Palm is. Palm, Microsoft Reader and PDFs. 50% of the digital content on Amazon was pornography or porn-based. So I literally went to all my friends in publishing, Zondervan, Baker Bookhouse, uh, Destiny Image, all the people I used to buy books from, buy their returns from. And I just said, hey, man, there's these things called eBooks, and and we need to get into it. So I, I found these publishers giving me all their content. I remember sitting with one brother who runs a publishing company, he's like, Jerry, you can have my whole backlist. We just gotta, I'll help you fight this fight. And so they gave me the ammunition. So for a period of time, we went to the marketplace and we were the largest Christian ebook publisher before ebooks were ebooks. So we went in and fought head on. We were like, you wanna bring pornography? We're gonna bring God's word. And so a few years later, Kindle came out and I saw they were actually doing it competently And I just basically took all my customers because it was missional. I wasn't even in it to make a lot of money. I just went to all my publishing partners and I said, go deal with them now. They're going to do it right. And so that's just, again, one story that I love to be a part of, you know, just to know I got entrusted us with that assignment. Hmm. So, yeah, lots of fun stories with Treasures. And then, you know, just, uh, you know, Treasures is great. You know, we've built a built and sold publishing company. Uh, I bought another publishing company that I own right now that I'm um, working on um, digitizing. So again, as a pioneer, I'm, I'm my current back burner project is to take, I bought a company called Honor Books, which is a, a historic devotional book company. And um, my goal, I've got about 300 titles that I own. My goal is to create a 100% print on demand and ebook company. Um, where there's no inventory zero inventory based because that's kind of the tough thing in publishing is sales forecasting and inventory I can tell you for being in a publishing business. You make a lot of money on paper But you find out that it's all paper in the warehouse as in books with digital. It's all print on demand So if you go on and order God's little devotional books for mothers, you're going to get a copy But that's that one copy that was made for you. So a smaller net margin for us, but a very clean net margin And then we're also involved with foreign rights licensing. So all the content I own, I offer to foreign languages, German, Korean, and so on. So that's kind of a project I might pour a little gas on. I haven't been doing much with it, but...
0: Sure. So one of the things I wanted to jump back into that you said that you partnered with the Lord in some of these endeavors, like you felt that God was with you. And again, I think that's one of the misconceptions that we want to break down on this podcast is so many Christians give their life fully to Jesus and they think that that means, okay, now I have to be in full-time vocational ministry. Uh, now we know that all of us are in ministry, uh, but when I say vocational ministry, I'm picturing like a pastor or a missionary. Obviously, your first response to giving your life to Jesus was, "Let me go off to Moody Bible School and and get trained because I want to live full on for Jesus." And I think that's that's one of the things that people are are being woken up to is that you can be full on 100% surrendered and committed to living out this life for Jesus. And oftentimes God will call you into the marketplace. So Jerry, can you speak to why is it important to have Christians in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is important to have Christians in the marketplace. I think there's a there's a negative taboo out there that says you know you're if you're successful or somehow if you have wealth, you know that you're somehow you know drinking from the cup of the world. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's plenty of biblical warning about that. But the reality is, here's a simple here's the simple truth about this. I love the statement, the quote by Eric Liddell, the Olympic sprinter. He said, "God made me for a purpose." but he also made me fast. Now this guy was a missionary, right? But he was a a medalist in the Olympics. He actually did not run one of the Olympic events because it was on a Sunday. He was the favorite in the event and he didn't run it. That's how sold out he was for God. He wasn't one of this like, thank you Jesus kind of people when he wins, he was sold out. He knew his identity in Christ, but he knew God had made him a certain way. And he says, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast when I run, I feel his pleasure when I build according to what God's given me to do in the marketplace and assignment Waymaker Enterprises is our current our Amazon delivery business I wasn't really chomping at the bit to do this felt from the Lord he brought us into it and he gave me the blueprint for this business I talked about the culture thing God told me what this was going to look like and we just rolled it out And without compromise. So again, when I talked about culture, I talked about creating and maintaining culture and then putting filters into place so that you're filtering out the impurities, not that people are impurities, but sometimes people's character are impurities um, to create something great that will um, give you a platform or a venue to reflect God's glory. And, And so we need more godly people in the marketplace to reflect God's glory not that we sit there and shut up for the sake of business or oh I might lose that account let me tell you when i was in tre- when i was banging hard in treasures i could have made 5 to 10 times more money that i made and we did really well if i would have gotten into secular books meaning all i dealt with was christian books with christian publishers and i knew very much that god had called us to not do secular books And we never did. But God blessed us so much. And I think the danger is, is the danger is to compromise for the sake of success and that our identity gets wrapped up into those things and the moreness of it, as opposed to the contentment of God is my portion. You know, if I'm going to do great, that's great we'll do great and we'll glorify God. And if we're going to struggle, we'll struggle and say, God is my provider. You know, he's the God of the breakthrough. He's my defender. That's what he does. And we've certainly had hard times, you know, right before we built and sold Broad Street, it was very tight times for us, but God spoke to us to move. He's like, go move, go move. I had a beautiful, really beautiful home on a lot of acreage. And God said, I want you to go move over here. And I'm like, I'm thinking like how I'm making meeting cash flow right now, you know, not moving, not in faith, but knowing that God's called us something else. It's the, but God, like I said, whatever write, but God on your mirror, whatever you see in the mirror, just write, but God above it. Cause God's going to do more. Not only did we move where he wanted us to move, he brought so much abundance. We kept the house we lived in, paid cash for the next house and had plenty of money left over. That's that's a god move. That's not a Jerry strategic 3-year plan. And, you know, if you're going to be called into that realm, be ready. Be ready to spend your talents, you know. Don't be that guy, you know, if anything, don't be double-minded. Don't be that person who takes that talent and says, "Oh, I'm going to bury it because I don't want to I don't want to fail. I don't want to, you know, compromise." Uh no, God's given you a talent because he wants you to run with the ball and he expects you to to be a good steward over what he's done. And I feel that's very much for the marketplace. I'm not embarrassed, you know. Sometimes my wife would be, if I'm preaching or sharing or something, she's like, you know, or someone will say like, oh, you're bragging. I'm like, I'm not bragging on me. I'm the idiot who breaks things. You know, it's just, God's just more faithful to me, you know. In teaching me, you know, helps me gain wisdom over time to see like, yeah, he's building something. I can't do those things. I can't, you know, even, Mm -hmm. even in Waymaker, you know, in 15 months going from zero, I hired 150 people last year. That's crazy. It was a lot of work. I had grace to do it. And I learned, God gave me so much wisdom on hiring and creating culture, but it was all part of his plan. Not, not that I bought a business book or listened to a podcast. God said, I'm equipping you for this assignment now stay on task. And that's the best mm. thing we can do. God equips us, do it. You know, that's that, that quote. I think it's Oral Roberts, the quote, don't touch the the gold, don't touch the girls, don't touch the glory. You know, we're, we're mm. stewards over these things, you know, and it's okay to have nice things as long as nice things don't have you. And I've lived both ways. Yeah. So I can say that I can truly say that things had me, but I have more things than I've ever had it doesn't really mean anything to me. I mean, in in the sense of yeah. like, from an arresting standpoint, like, oh my goodness, I'm nervous. Look at, I need a bigger house. I need a nicer car. Oh my goodness, this guy has this. I, I need to have that. I'm like, no, I don't care. I would sell everything. You know, doesn't really, it, seriously, mm-hmm. you ask my wife, I go live in an apartment, honestly, if that's what God called us to do. I really don't care. That's not what he called me to do. So I'm not looking at it going like, oh, I don't care. I'm looking at it. I'm on task. I'm I'm Eric Liddell. I will run hard and fast for the Lord in whatever race he puts me in. As long as I'm here, that's what I'm looking to do. I'm trying to be the best steward over the opportunities that he's given me.
0: So good. I want to make sure our, our listeners caught what you said, because I asked you why it's important to have Christians in the marketplace. And one of the first things you said is that we might reflect God's glory. And I think that's that's so dead on because God is a builder. You look at Genesis, God is a creator. Uh, he's someone that that starts things. He's someone that owns things. He's someone that put man in the garden, not just to sing or sit around and sing worship songs, but to draw out the resources of the earth and produce something that is going to be of value to humankind. So, he put things in the earth in seed form, and he said, I want man to come along and weed and water, take what I've put in the earth's resources and draw out, create something useful. And one of the ways that we can really bless one another is by producing something of value to one another. It's really the way that, that countries and nations uh, increase the betterment of, of the individual's life is through trade and through enterprise and through business. Uh, I would actually argue that the primary way that that people grow in wealth is not through foreign aid or through you know the sending or giving of things. It's actually the teaching and the education of people to be productive and then exchange that thing of value with someone else. It's one of the ways that nations can actually grow the, the betterment of one another. Now, I wanted to come back to What you said right at the beginning, actually, and this is even before you were walking with the Lord, you said that entrepreneurship is ownership and taking responsibility. And I think this is a huge issue in the church right now, that whether you're working a job for somebody else or whether you're a business owner in your marriage, a parent, whether it be with your physical body, all these different spheres of life, I see people struggling to take ownership and take responsibility. Is that something that you see as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Again, it's one of those things where, because you know, in my current business, we, we use the term leadership. Um, we don't use the term management because I feel like people want to achieve management. It's almost like you work yourself to a place where everyone else does the work. I don't really buy into that culture. I think whatever you're involved with, we're leading by example. And so not that I would do everything in my company, like the current one I just built. But the first thing I did was I start with the most basic things, delivering packages. That's what I did. And I wanted to be the best at it and refine it. And what I want to do is I want to create a culture of teaching others how to take ownership of that process. But if I don't do it, I can't expect other people to do it. So, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, you need to take ownership of that situation to actually know. Otherwise, you get the manager's badge. You know, a manager is just going to tell you, "Oh, hey, you're doing it wrong, or you're doing it right." Leaders, leaders just manifest leadership by doing the right thing. So, we have, you know, everyone. We have this pyramid in our company with, you know, kind of a pyramid structure where it's, it's an upwardly focused pyramid where. You know, leadership just rises to the top, but you will never be subject to a leader who has not done your job. And I just feel like as Christians and as business owners, we have to be in touch with the things that we're called to be stewards over. Now, that doesn't mean if you grow an organization of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that you're doing everything every day or you've got to micromanage. Not at all. You just need to know that. You are maintaining that culture of leadership and touching base with your leaders all the time. If you are a leader in a in another organization, a secular organization, or the church for that matter, you need to be hands on and taking responsibility. You know, you need to you need to look at it as you know it's at Colossians three twenty three. Whatever God's called you to do, work at it with all your heart, because it's on to Him, not onto your earthly uh, boss. And so those are the things that I believe, you know, again, Christians, I love my, my brother in the Lord, Don Dano, used to always say this, and I believe it with all my heart. He said, the Christian in the, in the marketplace, if the company was ever doing poorly, they ought to be the last person that that company wants to let go because they're so valuable. I believe the same. I preach it all the time to my team. And, and I believe it, you know, I truly believe it. Um, I believe that God's favor is on us and what he's called us to do. Where there's favor, I'd, ra- I'd rather have nothing else than favor because favor supersedes everything. Um, I've never been able to strategize or build as good as the favor of God that's been put on me. And I've, I've worked hard, I've worked hard in things. And you know, I, I don't mind hard work. I love hard work, it's one of our p- pillars and core values but hard work it's like paddling a canoe or something right if you're paddling against the current you're still going the wrong way in a fast rushing river but when you're when you're in a canoe and you have the favor of god and you're going with the current you're going really fast no it's like that it's like mm-hmm. that moving walkway in the airport right it's like you're walking but like whoa i'm really going fast you know and so yes. that's how i feel like yeah when we're given assignments man until or unless God calls you to be an entrepreneur or, or own a business, um, you work in full hard work with character onto the Lord. We never, it's never about the next assignment. It's about what we're called to now, you know. it's mm. You don't want to spend that, that 40 years in the desert, you know what I mean? Just grumbling over, yes. oh gosh, I know the promised land is over here. That's where I'm supposed to be, so I'm just going to act the fool over here. It's like no you do us right right now in all situations so that you can get there you know mm.
0: that's so powerful uh, it's something again i see often where people feel that god's given this them this big assignment 10 15 20 years down the road and so they're just staring at the clock all day thinking well i just got to endure this job until god calls me to my big assignment not realizing that it's the the hard work and the effort and the responsibility and the ownership that you invest into that season that actually prepares you for the the future assignment totally So a couple of financial things. Uh, When we talk about building wealth, I think there's a lot of people out there that are just getting by, struggling financially. I think, uh, I could be off on this, but I think one of the last stats I heard was that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So let's talk to somebody that's just getting out of high school or just getting out of college and they want to start establishing themselves financially. What's the roadmap to building wealth?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? You know, (laughs) simple economics say that uh, make more than you spend. What I would say is we live in a culture of microtransactions. I think we have to be very careful. There's so much access nowadays. I mean, even if you look at like just food that you don't cook, right? You're talking, I mean, we door dashed a couple of times that we were here, spent way too much money on food. I'm not ashamed of it, but (laughs) if you don't have that in your budget, then don't do that. We just have to be very diligent, you know, again, realize the opportunity that God gives you. And then again, if you're young, plan, plan, have a goal, you know, even if God hasn't like called you to your career. My son, I'm going to brag on him a little bit. He doesn't work for me. He did for a a summer. He worked in my warehouse, sticker in Books, going to Ross stores. He works for a friend of mine. I told him, he's 19. I told him, I was like, Think about you're living at home. You don't have a lot of expenses. Think about saving your money because one of the best things you could do at your age would be to save some money and buy a house. I'll help you financially if you do. And like in a year, I don't know, it's like a little over a year. This kid saved like $20,000, you know, 20 grand, which is, you know, a good, good amount of money if we help him out to buy a house. You know, this is a saying that I say a lot. Everything is an investment, right? My wife and I have been doing date nights for like the last 15 years. We haven't so much in the last few months. But if we go out to dinner and we spend two or $300 on dinner and I get a you know really nice bottle of wine or something like that, I look at it and go, well, that was an investment in our time. Just realize that you have to be ahead of the transaction and don't be subject to it. Uh, I know when I sit down and I work with people's finances who come to me and say, hey, I don't make enough money you always make enough money you're probably just spending too much of it and be who you want to be i would say to anyone you know all my kids you know one of the things i did was help them establish good credit at a young age because when you need credit is not the time to be thinking about establishing credit save money my oldest daughter and son-in-law just bought a house they had a huge amount of money down which is great. It's a good position to be in. Equity is always a great position to be in. (laughs) Uh, You know, having a good equity position, especially with where the market is right now, you know, the market's very high. Yeah, but just make wise investments. You know, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you can at all save for retirement and your company offers a 401k or anything like that, do it to it. If you can pick up side gigs and side hustles, that's another great thing to do. Do it. Go ahead and do it. I know before I started Waymaker, I was looking at developing kind of like a DoorDash or a Instacart. I mean, <laughs> Caleb, I knew nothing about this. And I jumped in. I was making $1,500 a week running around doing that stuff. So when someone tells me like, oh, I can't make enough money. I don't have enough jobs. I'm like, you just need to get your hustle on. And so, yeah, that's probably my primary advice would be to, you know, to work hard while you can, because when you, the older you get, the less work, you know, (laughs) the less grind you have in you and put yourself in a position of strength, you know, have your credit, work on your credit being good. Um, again, if you're working onto the Lord, I believe his favors on you. You'll see my son's 19 and he's already a supervisor managing other people, which is pretty amazing. He can't clean his room though, but (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean that—that's my advice. You know, don't you know? Look, live within your means too. That's the other thing. Is like, you know, everybody can get a car. You don't buy cars. Nobody buys a forty-six thousand dollars car. They buy a five hundred and fifty dollars a month car. What can you afford according to your budget? You know, budgeting is it zero sum budget is what you need, and then you work it to a T. I work with finances and people in the church all the time. They're like. You know, we'll sit down and they'll give me their budget on Excel. I'm like, do oh, you ever get Chinese food? Do you ever get Starbucks? Well, yeah. I'm like, I don't see that on there. And all of a sudden we start adding in that three, four hundred bucks a month of that filler stuff. And it's nothing wrong with those things. You just have to decide where does that fall on my list of things that I want? Now, here's the thing. You can have those things now. Or you can have more of those things later. The way I look at it is, is if you have those things now, you have less money to invest. So it's just like even taking that two, three few thousand dollars to invest in an IRA. When you look at the crazy miracle of compounding returns, you don't have to save that much money to be a multimillionaire when you're ready to retire. Not Again, not that that's the end all or our main goal is to be millionaires at retirement, but it's part of financial stewardship. Right. And so, you know, in the, in, again, in all of these things, we're also giving to the Lord, you know, where he directs us, you know, I have this great story of a watch that I wanted to buy. And, uh, it was pretty expensive watch and I was saving money. And, uh, my deal with God was like, Hey, I will give to everyone, um, who needs um, who you bring to me. Um, and when I have enough actual money, physical cash, I was saving cash. Um, I will buy the watch and it probably took me three years. And then all of a sudden one day I noticed, I'm like, Oh, I have the money for the watch. But in that time, Caleb, I mean, we have paid people's rent. We have bought people cars. We had done all sorts of cool stuff. So set yourself goals and doing cool stuff like that. you know, give, you know, especially as a young person have a giving challenge, you know, put, put that in your life. Like, Hey, I want to give my son again, he's 19 years old. I mean, (laughs) I love love these kind of dilemmas, you know, where he came up to me and he's like, he heard somebody was in financial, um, you know, a bad situation. And he's like, I I really want to pay their rent. And I'm like, you know, part of you wants to go like, dude, you don't have that much money, but how do you say no to a son? Who's like, I feel from God, I'm going to pay somebody's rent. I'm like, yes, thank you, God thank you. You're not, I want the $1,200 or $2,000 iPhone. I'm like, nothing, nothing wrong with that. And I'm like, I had a kid who wants to pay somebody's rent. I'm like, yes, how how, how can he, how can he fail? You know? So yeah, yeah. I, I hope that's
0: helpful. Yeah, really helpful. We're coming to a close here, but uh, a couple more questions. One of the questions I get all the time from people in the business world is there's so many people that are working a nine to five. They've had a measure of success uh, in their company. Maybe they're working in the corporate world, making six figures, but they feel like they have a passion for business and entrepreneurship. And I get this question all the time is, when's the right time to jump? Do I fully jump? Do I try to partially jump? And I feel like almost the question that they're asking me is, I really want to be an entrepreneur, but how do I do it without risk? Can you speak to that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, its I've been in that situation. And um, I guess the, the writing on the wall has to be pretty clear. And certainly, I would say for a believer, you got to have faith, right? There's no safety net in being an entrepreneur. I'm sorry, it's just not there. If you're If you're looking for a backup plan, then just keep your job and do a hobby or something. You know, sell on Pinterest or Etsy or whatever you do. When we started the wireless business, I quit my my wife was pregnant with my third daughter. I quit my job with insurance and spent everything we had. That's what I did. And so, but to say, leading up to that, I was the company I was working for, I was a sales rep for another wireless company, and I had um, agents all around. And so I was selling basically paging services. I was a paging rep that dates me back with the dinosaurs. And so I started selling uh, prepaid wireless phones, cell phones, on the side, and I was making really good money. The turning point came for me when I just knew that it was time to time to jump. And you know, I was doing okay financially, but for me, what happened was, as I knew, I had kind of hit the ceiling and where I was at. Again, I wasn't a Christian, so these aren't like I didn't have faith. Or didn't hear from God but what I did was is I stepped out and you know the thing was is we hit the ground running and we did great you know from the get-go I would say you know sit please if you're considering this please sit down with someone with wisdom that's what I loved about being in the first um, a CEO of your life you know my first meeting with King's Council was I'm hearing conversations of like brothers If I had heard these conversations 20 years ago, (laughs) I would be hundreds of thousands of dollars richer because I've made so many bad decisions without counsel. Get counsel. Get wisdom. Seek wisdom. Um, Look for people in your life that will bring you solid wisdom, not opinions, not people who wrote books. Wisdom is gained through doing. It's experiential. When you want to grow in something like that, find you a mentor. It's 100%. It's what I tell everybody get you a mentor and you mentor someone else that's the life flows in life flows out idea seek lots of counsel and then again be at peace with it be at peace with your home of saying hey we're going to do this and then do it and then just trust god you know you really have to trust god to know that if he's called you to a mission he's going to see it through and you know he's not failed us you know um i must say my faith has been tested even in waymaker you know, I can't tell you how many times I just, in this last business, I mean, I drove home in tears and frustration going like, I'm done. I'm quitting. This thing's never going to start. We ran into so many obstacles starting the business, but like, it's been amazing. You know, I mean, noth- built nothing like it. Nobody, who builds a business in 15 months from that, you know, from zero, hires 150 people and, you know, and, and builds a multi-million dollar, very profitable business in that amount of time with very little investment. Most people don't get that privilege. And so- yeah. Um, be wise. Seek wisdom and be wise would be my counsel. And then, you know, put a good business plan together. Get it vetted. You know, my two questions I always ask people. I love it. You know, it's like the left and the right. You know, why would anyone do want to do business with you? And what makes you think you're going to succeed a, where others have failed? If you're offended or those you can't answer those questions, then continue working in your job until you can give positive answers and say, I'll tell you why. Cool. Rock and roll, baby. Now you're an entrepreneur. Go do it. If you're offended by those questions, I promise you the marketplace is going to be much less kind. It will chew you up and spit you out broke and you'll be broke. Broken and broken probably.
0: Mm. Very good. So a couple things you said in there, get a mentor, find counsel, put your own business plan to the test of why would someone do business with you? Why are you going to succeed where others have failed if you can't answer that question? Stay in your job until you can answer that question. Hundred uh, percent, Jerry. We're going to wrap this up here in a minute. Any final thoughts or anything else that you wanted to say to our listeners?
1: I would just say, in the context of of the podcast, I would just say, you know, with respect to King's Counsel, I I find it very valuable. I think anyone who is um, who is in a position of maybe seeking business maybe they got invited to listen to this or, or they found it somehow and they're thinking about going into business or taking the next step even in their their career I would encourage people to join because I think it's a good investment in just like I said the, the short time I've been involved I think it's really good um, you will find mentoring you'll find community you know all, all of the you know the pillars of our lives that we need care it's a really good investment in in you. Um, as a person to, to get checked in all these areas, how long you continue on. Hey, that's it. Maybe you'll be, Hey, maybe you're awesome. You'll be a coach, or maybe you'll just find a uh, community, but it's one way to find a mentor. Cause that's one of the things that's super important is um, again, if you are an entrepreneur, get comfortable being misunderstood around regular people. Because that's pretty much it. That's my life. Most of my life, especially in the you know, in the twenty something years I've been in the church. People just don't understand. They think you're rich, you don't work hard, you just everything's easy. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> not exactly. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, Jerry, it's been so great having you on this episode. I know there were some things we didn't even get into how God rescued your marriage and I've heard you share your marriage testimony. I know we're going to have you actually as one of our our speakers at our upcoming marriage event. But if someone is listening to your story, they feel like they're connecting with what you're saying. Maybe they're in that spot where you were in their 30s and had some financial success, but they don't actually know God and they feel unfulfilled or maybe they do know God, but they're really struggling financially and struggling to get off the ground. Are you available? Is there a way that they can connect with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can feel free to, you know, pass people on to me. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on the the King's Council app. However, people want to get a hold of me, that would be super.
0: Jerry, thank you again. You're always so generous with your time. Again, I appreciate you being on vacation and still taking time to uh, to chat with us. So it's such a privilege to have you on this week.
1: All right, bro. Take care. We'll see you.
0: Yeah, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. We will catch you on the next episode.
2: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Chosen Podcast, powered by the King's Council. If you loved what you heard, give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You can also watch this podcast and much more on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash King's Council Coaching.